Hello, everybody. This is the Uncharted Life podcast, and I am Jacob Lyles, your host. And this is a very special episode of the Uncharted Life, because this is the 10th episode. When I started this podcast three years ago, I set a New Year's resolution to do six episodes in my first year. And it turned out that I only did one. I really liked having conversations, and I was a big fan of podcasts, so I wanted to do my own, but I just think I was unprepared for the work that really goes into doing a podcast, all the editing and coordinating guests and publishing. I I just kind of hit a wall, and, I, and to be frank, I'm kind of a bad self-manager, or at least I have been in the past. So I wasn't so good at figuring out how to get things done. I released one podcast my first year, I released one podcast my second year, and then this is my third year. And that's right, I'm up to number 10. That makes, for those doing the math at home, that makes eight in 2018. And in fact, I have three more in the can. So I might not be the best self-manager in the world. I might be, I might have the brain of an ADD squirrel, but I feel like I've figured something out. Now, and, and, and that's something to celebrate. Now, I haven't quite reached the heights of quality of like a Krista Tippett or Tim Ferriss or Russ Roberts, those, those illustrious names of podcasting that, that inspired me to get into the game. But I've really enjoyed having these conversations, and I feel good about this podcast, and I'm just going to keep on making them. And who knows? Maybe one day I'll be up there with those podcasts that I really admire. I'm just going to keep on finding the people in my network, in my community, that have something to say about life, and I'm going to talk to them and record it. And speaking of that, uh, today my guest is Ned Buskirk. Uh, Ned is the founder of a nonprofit called You Are Going to Die, which is here in San Francisco. And the main product of You Are Going to Die is a series of open mic nights on the topic of death. So uh, about once every other week, we get together, or a group of people gets together at the Lost Church venue in the Mission District of San Francisco, and there's an open mic on, on death. And we share songs and poems and stories and all sorts of performances about our own mortality or about death in general, or very personal stories about the death of a loved one or pet. And these nights are, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what goes on in them. I mean, they're very powerful, very moving experiences, but they're, they're, they're sad and tragic, but they're also funny, um, warm, can be at times lighthearted and at times very somber. Uh, it's really, Ned does a great job, and we talk about this in, in the show, about just permissioning all kinds of responses and reactions to death. And although the point of the show isn't to feel better about the reality of the, the impermanence of our existence, it does often have that effect. I, I just feel a lot less alone at the end of the night. It feels like a community coming together. Um, there's people going up to each other to just thank each other for sharing and talk about what it meant for them as listeners. 
and it's a it's a beautiful thing. Now, in his free time, when Ned's not running, you are going to die. Ned does an art therapy program for cancer patients at San Francisco hospitals. So there's a way that his whole, and he also goes around speaking about death in other places. So there, there's a way that he has, at this point in his life, sort of had multiple um, activities that bring him into contact with death in the meaning of it. Um, now, in this interview, I feel like I try to get Ned and understand him in my own way a lot and I feel like I do a little bit of missing, and I feel like that's okay. I think the attempt is really worthwhile, and it sort of makes me appreciate that you're going to die, this thing that I value so much and that's been such a positive uh, impact on my life, is not something that I could have made. It's something that comes out of Ned and who he uniquely is. So without any further commentary, uh, let's jump into that conversation with Ned Buskirk. All right. Um, so I've been trying, I'm playing with like doing things like a little bit more informally, like just kind of easing into the conversation. Yeah. Um, so one thing I've been thinking is that like when I talk about you're going to die with, with other people, uh-huh. a lot of times they find it to be pretty a pretty strange idea. Like uh-huh. they, they sort of like wonder why I think that would be a good evening. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe my like sense of calibration for like what's weird and what's not has been destroyed by living in San Francisco too long. Yeah. Um, do you ever get like people looking at you kind of weird? Well, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty confronting name. Uh, yeah. But it's also threatening um i think the general experience if you look up the phrase on in google most the hits are probably it's probably being used you know as a threat um in fact for a while i was doing the google option where you'd get notifications about any time a term or a subject came up in like articles new postings on the internet and the fr- all I had in was you're going to die because I was mainly I was just wanting to be present to if it was popping up anywhere if there were articles getting written about it if it was coming up in in things that I wouldn't know about and that it would be good for me to kind of at least keep a finger on that pulse but all I was getting was really mainly every once in a while like rarely I would get something um, that showed what it, something in relation to the work I'm doing or a reference to what I'm doing. Mostly it was just, just threat, just threats, like articles about someone wanting to kill someone. Um, and, uh, um, I stopped, I stopped those notifications because of that. But, um, but that's all to say that, that, that it's charged in a lot of, you know, weird and negative ways. Uh, not because the phrase, uh, you know, innately embodies negativity. It's just that we've maybe framed it that way because losing your life is threatening and not just because someone could take it, but because because it could be taken um, or because it's going to go away. Um, so for sure, people respond Makes know, me think strangely that... every now and then to it. Every time. 
really it, it makes me think like there's a, like this implicit threat just by being alive like that like you know it's going to end so so like we're we're always under threat i think that's the the softest version of people being weirded out by it uh-huh. um and to the point of it being called that it, i didn't mean for it to do that to people but in truth, I named it that because I thought it could offer an inspiring starting point. Um, and really, the earliest version of the show, it was named that because I just wanted people to get, you're going to die, so why not just share whatever you have to share? You know, it's just, it's an open mic, get up, you know? Um, and over time, it's it's become something I've owned more and taken responsibility for more that it that it's called that is kind of a clearing and really if you're not ready to go into the conversation the title does a little bit of the work for people um so if it is too confronting then you maybe you shouldn't go or if it's too triggering then maybe it's not for you right now um, and then on the other side of that is I think the curiosity or the draw sometimes I think from people intuitively that know, well, there's something here. Like I need to go to this, which I don't know if that was your experience. Yeah, I think the uh, the phrase you are going to die, it just like pops out to me. If it was called something like death open mic or, or something, then I don't know that I would have been quite as as like enthusiastic about going. Like just by reading the title, like I got something of the experience. Yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it. I would, you know, one relationship I have with a lot of the death positive movement and deathy conversations that are really kind of blowing up, I'd say in the last five years or so, is that I feel that the way you just described about a lot of those things. I'm not like looking for, um, how can I describe this? I'm personally not looking for something that's a kitschy little holding for my mortality or quote-unquote death and dying or skeletons and skulls or even like the medical conversation of death and dying um what i'm looking for is that human heart center and i think what the phrase you're going to die does is it cuts right to that and i know it does that for me and i think it does that for people and so then i think people know you know oh i want to check this out um it does feel weird and it does feel confronting, but it, 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 I think it does cut to that truth for us. Um, and so then when people come, like you said, a little bit of the work's already done, you know, like they, they, they decided that they were going to go and spend money at a thing called you're going to die that, uh, maybe is threatening and is confronting, but they still said, I'm going to go. And so then already you're there that way. And most of the people that are, are there that way. And so then the shows are halfway there, you know? And I think why they're so commonly powerful and special to me is because of the people that decide willingly to go forth together into that truth. Yeah, I'm trying to feel into why I seek out and pay for an experience like this. And I think the thing that I'm looking for is meaning. And a lot of times I feel life is pretty meaningless. But when, you, when you're reminded in a very visceral, emotional way that it's finite, some, suddenly it seems 
a lot more meaningful. You think that when it's um, when it feels finite, it feels more meaningful. Yeah, mm. yeah. There, there's some way that that I w- I'm called to treasure it more, and just being more emotionally activated. I, I feel like I'm uh, I'm more connected to my experience. Yeah. I wonder if uh, I wonder if it feels like you're getting asked maybe to create meaning more or take responsibility for the meaning more. I, I feel like for me that's a little bit of how I am in this work and in this conversation. It's that that for me personally um, I think that things aren't, there's no inherent meaning in anything um, and that it's our work to place that and it's part of what it means to be human is that we, what it means to be human is that we can, we can place meaning over things and I think what, I think what is cool for me about the you're going to die conversation is that it's asking that, it's saying even though this, this eventuality, you know, this is coming, this is, inevitable um what then in light of that and then the deepening is immediate you know it's like it's not just oh well i want to get that house or i need to get that job or this is what success looks like or it matters that i out of a relationship and end up with kids or whatever you know the the ways culture is kind of fed us into what it means to be alive you know and what's worthwhile and meaningful um it starts to be a little more like no 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 like this is a personal journey and you're going to die. You are. And so just as you are going to die and you're going to do that alone, ultimately, um, then what is this journey through line to that um, for you personally? I feel like that's, I know for sure what I'm, my work in this, doing these shows, running the nonprofit, it's, while it is an offering for others, you know, obviously, it's. It, I'm very clear on the personal work of it for myself, like what it is constantly asking of me, on a level of, well, does this is this worth stressing about, or how hard and urgently do you push this, um, down to just what does it mean in relationship to who I am with my kids and my wife, or in this conversation with you, in the in the relationships I have with people that have started doing the work in the nonprofit with me. What is that? What is it? What is it speaking to that, those relationships? And so it's just another way of me describing to you what I think happens with you're going to die is it's a request personally, you know, intimately of, of people that show up at the shows, um, but that it's, it's a call, I think, um, for me. Uh, so to, so there, there's a way that doing you are going to die is, is personally sort of related to your quest for meaning for sure and, and if and if you weren't finding that with the the open mic would you stop doing it well it's a great question you know because right now i i'm figuring out what you're going to die is if it's not the open mic mainly um even to the point of cutting back on doing the open mics as regularly as i do them um or at least the open mics you know of um and then in that way 
it does shift out of what that's been like for me personally all along and start to look like, well, what else can this be? And also, who else am I out of this? So that it's not constantly my identity is you're going to die, like this is what I'm doing, this is my existence, and it's got to work. Because if it doesn't, like, who am I? It's, it's, st it's still asking all the way through, like, you still just know this is going to end eventually completely, you know? So my l loose, maybe unattached is the wrong word, but my relationship to you're going to die is, it, it asks that of me, that I kind of keep sort of um, this fragile, uh, meaningful, heartfelt relationship to it, but like kind of holding it with a little more space. So that I can see maybe with clarity or pay attention to um, what doors are opening, not only for you're going to die, but for me, you know, in this life experience, in this way that I want to grow and have my existence informed by the fact that I'm not going to be here eventually, you know. Um, that's very much a part of literally the day to day work of doing these shows and doing the nonprofit, you know, now. Um, it seems like like just the idea of impermanence is something that you have a, a finger on, like like not just that you're going to die, but like everything in your life changes and might come to an end, and you never know when. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that, that I think I'm getting about you from like seeing you on stage and from talking with you now is like the sense of like honesty. Would you would you describe like that about yourself yeah I mean you know who I am at the shows isn't while there's performative aspects of my being on stage or being the MC or host um, it's not it's not part of what works about me being on stage in the shows is that there's a through line between me on stage at the shows and me in life with people, you know, and that is that I and maybe even to a fault sometimes have a hard time not um, being vulnerable and transparent about what I'm feeling and 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 honest about um, where I'm at, you know. Um, and and I think that part of what happens at the shows, the way they work, is that you're first experience when you come into one of the live events is me doing that and op maybe opening the door um, for others um, to do the same. It, it's, it's uncomfortable. Uh, when when uh, it's uncomfortable when you see that happen? Uh, a little bit. I mean, it's kind of... I would love to hear more about it's that. It's kind of delightful. Uh, I think the uncomfortability is like what it calls up in me. Well, tell me about like the first time that you came in to watch a show and sort of what that was like. Yeah, the, if you remember, you've been to a few by now. Yeah, yeah, I have been to three. I think the thing, the thing that that I, I want to mention before I forget it is is like um, something like if I were to live like you and be constantly and be aware of the fact that I'm going to die all the time, like it would be hard. You think you don't do that? Uh, I don't. And how do you know that I do? Uh, it's it's certainly the character you play on stage, sure. Or or it's the character we all are when we're when we're in that space, and and it's a, it's a rich space, but it is an uncomfortable one. Like there's this feeling, kind of like 
when I think about my impending death, it's like it's somewhere in the middle of my body. It's around the diaphragm. It's around the stomach. It's a clenching. It's like it's this tension. Is it always that way? Yeah, and, and I think I have a bunch of crackpot ideas about how to live life. And one of my ideas about how to live life is that my goal should be that when I when it's time for me to actually die. When, when I'm old and have cancer or heart disease or something like that, like that should go away. That should have been away by now. Like I should be at peace with death. Uh, and, and I should make my life choices like so that eventually I can get to the place where I can die easy. And uh, like right now it's not there. And going through these events I think might be maybe on that path to, to dying easier. Like maybe acknowledging that and like feeling that discomfort, feeling like that that like no like uh, I don't want to want to die yet uh, like maybe that being in a relationship with that now means that I won't be feeling that when I'm hopefully very old and on my deathbed. Yeah. Uh, if you make it that far. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah, one never knows. That's the, <laughs> exactly, that's the shitty right. thing about it. Which is why you feel that way, probably. Yeah. Uh, generally, um, I. That is not unfamiliar to me. Feeling that way that I'm doing this show is not because I feel good about it or I feel like a version of what you describe when maybe I'm on my deathbed too someday and it just feels like peace and perfection, you know? Um, that's not my general experience of my mortality or losing my children or uh, my wife or you dying. Um, and I mean that, you know, like my experience of you dying isn't my peace and perfection, you know? Going into the shows and knowing that fact about everybody there isn't like enlightened, you know, it hurts. Um, and also, I can access that moment that you described old and dying on your deathbed and it's available to me sometimes and I and I'm and I would say that a long time ago before I started the show and all this you're going to die stuff that was so precious to me knowing I could get to that like it's available now if I can if I know it's there if I can feel it like you're describing it like it's a thing waiting for you. How is it not in you right now? You know? And I understand that it's not in you right now like you feel it all the time or that every time mortality comes up, it's there to tap into. But could it be? Couldn't it be? If you know it's waiting for you. And, and to the point that when I'm stressed and anxious about stuff that I know don't matter because mostly they don't. And, I, and, and that's a complex conversation when you start to get into the levels of things that are stressful and anxiety-inducing, you know? Like, say, I'm stressed because my phone cracked, or I can't find it, or I'm stressed because Trump, you know, and the government right now are imprisoning, you know, quote-unquote imprisoning children and separating families at the border, or, you know, whatever other global catastrophe politically or environmentally is impending or occurring, you know? Um, but 
all the spectrum of what anxiety and stress is. I say that to acknowledge that like sometimes we just are gonna feel those things. You know, it's like, it, sometimes it's ridiculous and it's blatant and sometimes it's real and people do end up in concentration camps. How do you talk to someone in a concentration camp uh, who's gonna maybe die um, out of the conversation of you're going to die the nonprofit, you know? Like these are real, these are realities happening in the world, right? Um, and across all of that, I know that peace and perfection is available for me when my phone is lost and I know it was available for someone in a concentration camp somewhere when their life was threatened and their family was killed. That they could get to the peace, you know, and the perfection of everything dying. I'm gonna die. I can't fix this tragedy. I can't fix this brokenness, you know, and heartbreak, but it's okay. There's something okay, you know, that I can get to. Doesn't mean everything's okay, but there's something okay. Like when you are gonna lie on your deathbed, hopefully at an old age, dying from something not very painful, um, let's say, and you can just like rest easy and let go and it'll all feel just right, you know? Do you, do you believe that there is some peace and perfection in death that's available to you? Yeah. I think what I'm trying to describe that you touched on yeah. is something that I, for years, have been able to access every now and then. When some things feel out of control, I could somehow like dig through that or pull back the layers of that and find that moment and be relieved. And I mean that today if something goes wrong, like things are falling apart or my car explodes, you know, or whatever it is, because things happen that way. When I feel so stressed and anxious because I want to maintain control and I want things to be okay and I don't want to lose all of this, I, I could actually find relief in that fact that eventually I'm going to die. And that if that's true, it's okay right now. Like I could actually be uh, be be relieved right now, as broken as things are, that that's that's waiting for me. I literally do mean that. I mean that my death is waiting for me gives me relief sometimes, and I don't mean in like a suicidal way or like I'm going to take my life way. I mean, you know, thank goodness that letting go is waiting for me. It's waiting for you. Yeah, you know it is because you brought it up. And there's only it's not like in a creative imagining. I mean. It's described in a creative imagining, but you're you're describing a thing that's waiting for you. You know, yeah. Um, and and yet there there is some pain in it, too. Sure. Like I guess I saw you you cry like while you were describing thinking about people people around you dying, um, and and there I can tell like there's something emotionally painful about this work, uh, for you. Like you do this work, but it's not like you're, um, it's not like you're you're, toughened to it. Um, like you're, you're feeling it as you go along, uh, which which I find kind of fascinating. Like, why do you why do you choose pain? Well, because otherwise I'm denying it. You know, I mean, it's the, it's there. I mean, it's happening in you. You know, um, to to not choose it is to not choose you. And it's not easy, but 
you know, my kids are going to cry and get hurt, you know, and, and I use them as an example because they're the best example of where I do resist it the most. Hmm. And I do like to the point of if my son's crying, old patterns of fatherhood emerge where, you know, I'm not making him wrong, but it might be just one step away from like, all right, that's enough, you know, like stop crying. It's okay. You just fell and bashed your knee. Dismissive, you know, because I, because it is so hard to be with it. It is so hard to be with that pain in him, you know, it is so hard to be with that pain in someone else. But I I know I'm not getting all of you if I'm not accepting that, if I'm not choosing that. And I know that my growth and opening and centeredness and groundedness in life comes from accepting that I have heartbreak and pain and trauma and and deep suffering, you know, all the way back to my childhood. And maybe, you know, if you want to talk about that, that this kind of stuff, you know, maybe before in a very real, obviously measurable way by the pain and suffering of my own parents and, and maybe like past life stuff, you know, I don't know, but that it could go that far back, you know? It feels sort of magical in a way to just how much you feel uh, people around you, uh, or even like imagining hypotheticals, like thinking about people around you dying, like the, the tears that you just had while we were talking, um, like that might be more emotional than most people would feel in six months. Like that would be like the, the, like the peak, <laughs> yeah, so, total. The peak of emotions that, <laughs> that most people would feel in six months. Mm. Like maybe, maybe, they, maybe you don't have a cry every six months, even maybe once a year. Totally. Uh, and it's like, you're just raw, uh, like things are happening in you, and, and it feels sort of like compelling to be to be around, um, and also scary. Like I don't know if I could handle that. Um, that's kind of yeah. Well, I think there's a, I think there's a understanding we can get about ourselves in that the other night at a show someone came up to me and just said while we had similarities both of us to being on stage even sort of how we talked about things and the way we performed let's say but even how we shared openly but she said that she can't and doesn't cry um like that at all or like me at all and I think what got acknowledged in that wasn't that she felt like she should or that she was holding something back, but that that's just not her way of being, you know? And while I joke that sometimes I I wonder how we're not like crying hysterically all the time, all of us, um, or at least laughing hysterically and or, you know, <laughs> crying, um, I, I do wonder what you're speaking to is there something there you're not being with fully that's what you're asking you know not that your way of doing that is crying I I do cry a lot sure Um, and when I'm when I'm feeling most alive um, that's when you cry well when I'm when I'm crying I'm feeling in touch with some pain of being and when I'm in touch with some pain of being I often just feel more like more connected to my experience like there's more joy too um 
it's it's sort of like turning up the the amplitude or the volume on life so that I'm feeling like more of the lows and more of the highs. And I'm not feeling it right now because I've been thinking about like work stuff and like getting my life in order and rushing over a bridge this morning. And so there's a way like when I'm in this frame of mind, um, I can't really feel anything. Like I can't enjoy my coffee. I can't enjoy my breakfast. Um, I can sort of vaguely acknowledge that the, the, the scenery in San Francisco is kind of pretty, but I don't really feel it. Uh, but if I had just been weeping in pain from uh, maybe like memories of my ex-girlfriend or thinking about my father, uh, my father had a heart attack uh, two weeks ago. Um, and, like if I think about those things and let myself feel it, which I'm still not letting myself feel it even though I'm talking, uh, probably because I'm like nervous about podcasting, um, then then like everything just blossoms like. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much of that I can handle and all of that. Um, yeah, it's not, doesn't need some other profound poetic way of describing it. You know, um, I think when we are present to our heartbreak, we open. And so then we get more of being alive. I think that's what happens at the shows, you know? Um, and I think that's like at least what happens at the shows, you know? People say, will I go to the show and feel better about death? Or, you know, it's, I don't, ha I'm not sure, but I think if you go to a show, you'll feel more alive by the end. And I think what you're describing is that occurring, you know? Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't know, there's something sort of curious to me about your description of how much of it can you be with. Uh, again, you know, who knows if we could even get through a day if we felt that way all the time. I, 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 I don't know how I would do a lot of the things I have to do today if I was feeling that way the whole way through. Um, but I think that I feel that way almost every day, and I mean it, I feel like I have those moments, you know, to kind of drop in. Um, and I, and I hope maybe that it's out of doing you're going to die as hard as it can be sometimes that part of what's happening for me personally is that opening and sort of um, getting in the practice in a way that's healing and, and, uh, and grounding, like I said. Um, and so in that way, maybe my days get more or I get more out of my days, like seeing beautiful things or feeling more alive um but it can't it can't and doesn't happen all the time hmm. um yeah you'd be, you'd have to be some sort of uh like saint or cloistered hermit or something if you were gonna stay in that state you wouldn't be able to drive through traffic for sure yeah there's so much tragedy and pain, pain just in how people drive right yeah yeah you're right even in how people drive i was thinking of like a mortal on board um like a baby on board sign just this morning. I saw one of those and I was just thinking, you know, yeah, how people drive, how we get out in the world and navigate like maps and um, buildings and uh, systems, you know, that are, I, I don't know if deadening is the right word, strangely, but there's a ver ver something about that, that the way we've created these systems that are really, they're, 
a testament to immortality, something immortal that lasts beyond us. You know, that there's banks that are ruining the world or uh, um, the environment that are set up in a way to exist past the people that are alive now, that totally blows my mind, you know? So that's, that's the kind of systems out here, the way people drive, the way money's handled, how we take care of our citizens, um, how we take care of other countries. It's all based on these systems. And um, it baffles me that those syst- we're, we're trying to protect these things that are going to outlive us, you know? So yeah, I like the idea of even what it means to go out and drive the streets um, as being a, a place where you couldn't possibly be weeping and you just for safety reasons you gotta tap into your 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 cog like your your inner cog like your piece of the system yes. so you can navigate the systems and then come back home and weep mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then and then i would say even on the biggest level you know the hardest things to not feel stressed about and deadened by or um even those things I find that getting present as often as I can to the immensity of all this, the the far-reaching like infi- infinity of existence, um, and even on say just a measurable, I like can't imagine how far away the moon is and what the moon's like, but that the moon is there and has been here for so so much longer than I have, or Donald Trump, or any bank or any, you know, system that we've implemented proudly um, that that I could drop into the moon, you know, and somehow access that infinity and that, like, everything dies, everything goes away and be relieved, you know? Yeah. I find it, I don't know that I find it relieving. Mm. It is some way I want to hold on to us or some some kind of us to some some kind of human society living on into the future indefinitely i don't want to think that um like the moon was shining over the earth you know billions of years ago and there was just microbes swimming <laughs> and and it might be shining over the earth in a billion years where there's nothing but microbes swimming what well tell tell me why the moon shining over microbes billions of years ago why why you wouldn't want to think oh, of that that's that's fine but i don't want to think that that's also in the future like i don't want to feel like like that this is impermanent like i want to uh tell myself that there's something immortal about the thing that i'm part of um and it might not be true uh and well I, and, I, and, I, and i'm not quite in touch with the relief part of, of that yeah yeah, I guess it'd be hard. It's hard to make someone feel it. Um, I'm describing that <laughs> I do. Yeah. And um, and 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 I guess maybe your access point to it would be that you just described something that actually is occurring, that you are a part of something immortal. You know that there is this great holding to all this that that is. Um, 
you described it. You again, I you know, I have not put it that way, but you just said like in a way you just pointed to, well, aren't you? You know, hmm. like we're part of some. You're part of like the universe of cause and effect. So. I, I don't know what the words are to put on it. In they're, fact, they're, I think we might get further away from it if okay. we try to describe it too much. All right, but, all right. But but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it could be in the feelings. Yeah. And also, like, I, I don't know, man. I get it. I, I don't want to... I definitely... The last thing I can do, and while maybe even I could say I want to, but that I the last thing I can do or one of the things I can't do is really make it okay, you know, um, for myself all the time or for anyone else. And doing the shows and doing, like having created this nonprofit and all these programs and projects out of that, I'm not, that's not the point, you know. Um, I want to feel okay a lot, you know, I personally, I don't, I resist not feeling okay um and there's a lot of times when i don't feel okay you know um so that's to say i i i get it yeah i'm, I'm not the, the point isn't to feel okay the point is something like not resisting what's there and may, maybe that does help you feel on average more okay uh but but there's just a different flavor to experience like when you're not resisting it and when you're engaging with it. And it's like, maybe I mean, we've been talking about the whole time, this aliveness and sometimes peace. And uh, is, is, that, is that kind of the point? Um, you know, it's complex enough to say that the point of all this is is wrapped up in my ego and wanting to matter when I know eventually I'll be entirely forgotten as it is wrapped up in everything you just described, you know. And, and I think that's part of how it works and has worked is that all of that stuff is like equal parts. And in that way, it is so blatantly like my personal trip. And in that way, it because it's all of that in that way, it does offer an opening for other people to be that. Um, and to go back to the beginning of this conversation, like to find their personal relationship with what comes up. Um, I think that's one of the beautiful things about this particular thing is how it enables other people, including myself, to... Uh, sort of find a way for for ourselves to matter um, like I want to matter and I want I want my father to matter and so by speaking about him at the open mics there's some way that I'm that I'm at least lodging him in 40 people's minds and giving them some flavor of like what he meant to me what he means to me still um, and there and that's it's it's kind of beautiful that we live in a world that's not zero sum. But by, by you getting what you want, you're enabling me to get what I want, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think it's it's a similar thing. Yeah, I because I know that I want that for myself. I know that I want it for other people, 
and it is so complex in that all that stuff ends up weaving in unhealthy and healthy ways um, into all of this for me. Um, but that for sure I would say that's kind of the main point to this thing. It's that, and, and that's like the earliest version of it. You know, the earliest version of the shows was just me wanting to matter and be heard and simultaneously wanting that for others, not only because I want you to feel that way, but that I feel more alive and I feel like I matter more and I feel like I'm more here when you feel that way. Um, earlier you asked me about my experience of the first time I came to a show uh, and it, it's an interesting thing. Like it, it's just, it's such a bizarre artifact, this show. I, I want, can I talk about that a bit? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear that. Yeah. Um, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, we can do bathroom breaks. Just, just take the thing off. Did you want to hear uh, if the recording is... I, I think it'll be catching fine. Catching the levels, right? All right. I'm, I'm, gonna go I'm a little bit concerned that you are you have it on here and you're looking this I way. I know, I thought about that. I can move uh, it over to the other side, but will not mess up the... No, I have a good audio guy. This is the break time. This is the break time. You, you mentioned you might be willing to move that to the other I'm, side. I'm very willing. Uh, <laughs> let's try that out. Uh, and just tell me what you imagine you might have for lunch. Oh, um, gosh, I have no idea. I think I'll probably have a half a cucumber for sure. And maybe some almonds. Oh, that's 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 brilliant, uh, brilliant leveling. Um, <laughs> not my meal. No, no not the, my the, lunch. The meal sounds like <laughs> uh, something grabbed on the go, maybe while you're. Well, I'm just trying between. to eat a lot better because I have this chronic health issue in my digestive system, yeah. and I'm just I'm, and I'm actually enjoying how well I'm eating. But what I'm describing to you, as far as breakfast and lunch, is almost what I have every day. Yeah, you, you're figuring out like what makes your stomach feel mm -hmm. good and doing that yeah um so the shows the shows um well what one thing well can you tell me how you f remind me how you found out about it yeah i was on a first date um yes uh but the first two times were were dates from okay cupid got it uh and first dates yeah and neither of neither of those dates like did i feel a lot of chemistry but i had a great time at the show so mm -hmm. i'm like you know it's a win did they uh, I, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think they both liked it. One one was already a fan, and she was the one that told me about it. She had been to previous shows, uh, and um, and then the second one was uh, was was like kind of liked it, but wasn't as blown away as as I usually am. I feel like now that it's not on both collars, it's getting a little. I think it's good. You sure? Yeah. No, I'm not sure, but no, no, it's good. I think it's good. Like, that's as good as I get. Like, I'm not an audio engineer. Like, we're just, I don't know if you expected me to be, like, good at this. No, 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 no. I but, didn't but, expect uh, <laughs> I didn't expect you to be good at it. No, because I'm not. No, no. <laughs> I, I, this out. I imagined um, what I'm experiencing. And, and I'll tell you that what I'm experiencing is not that you're not good at it. I just know the podcast realm, that it's got this sort of element to it. I've done it. You know, I know what yeah. it's like when you're just like, hey, I want to have it. You know, I went and interviewed Stephen Jenkinson at his hotel um, uh, quite a few years ago for our podcast. And, I mean, it's unusable recording. 
because it was just there was construction happening outside oh, the hotel. God, that's the worst. <laughs> it's like the worst. So anyway, I get it. And um, you know, Studs Turkle, part of what he did to make those interviews work. Do you know Studs Turkle's work? No, I don't know Studs. Oh, uh, well, you should check him out. He's got a lot of of literature that would be worth reading for someone who's interested in interviews and conversations and 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 capturing them. Um, is that he would pretend like he didn't know what he was doing. Uh, he would like talk to to his guests and sort of even ask for help about the recorder because it made them feel more comfortable mm. that he wasn't so like together. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pretend like I know what I'm doing, which you're, is like the opposite. Like a real, <laughs> which is the opposite. Yeah, exactly. That. So I would just say let go into the fact yeah. that you're you're effectively making me feel comfortable. Great. In 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 not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> I just assume that you feel comfortable all the time no, because God, you're no. like you're a performer, you go on stage, we're in your home. I'm like, if anything, I'm like, I'm the one that spilled chamomile tea all over your carpet, like in the middle of the recording. Yeah. So. Did it actually spill? Let's, let's just think about it afterwards. It's just chamomile, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's mainly just water. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll make it smell better in that like one little patch. You're right. Just a little chamomile lavender accent in the living room. Yeah, and although your your house is like so clean and really ordered. Well, thank you for, so for much. For a guy with kids? Yeah. I mean, this oh, is man. like this wall of toys. It's just been, you know, 90% of which isn't used at all feels completely cluttered to me, but I appreciate the compliment. Well, you should get out to other people's I've places been in, I, I, I have been into other people's <laughs> homes that are messy. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I'll say about that is that I'm not comfortable everywhere. Um, I, I think as I get older and being a parent and, and I, and yes, doing like this death and dying work and being with like dying people and expanding myself through experiences that are uncomfortable or confronting, you know, I do think I'm maybe falling in love with myself and, finding myself more comfortable more and more, but I also get really overwhelmed and anxious and, and dark and sad um, in very uncomfortable ways a lot, you know? And that's just part of who I am. So that's just to say, um, it's a testament to you too, if I seem comfortable. You know, it so sounds like a pretty normal set of things. Yeah, it's feel. the same as everybody yeah. else. Uh, Although you you uh, you do have a very good stage presence, uh, which I want to talk to you about at some point, but maybe I should uh, tell, talk about my own experience at the shows. Yeah, let's since do it. We've been teasing that like three times. Yeah, well, let's stick, just stay kinda, with it. Kind of get that out. Um, so you were um, first time you went to the show. I mean, so it's a beautiful space, right? The Lost Church mm -hmm. uh, Mission District uh, has like these warm, old timey incandescent lights lining the stage. There's like a lot of red, like velvety stuff and some, um, uh, like the chairs I think are wooden. Uh, it's an intimate space, like 50 people. So it's warm. It's, uh, it just, it looks, it looks fantastic from the second you, you walk in the door. Um, and then you get up there and you give your opening monologue, uh, which you cry every time. Uh, and the thing that I enjoy about it is that it's like, it's also funny. It's it's uh, it's funny, and it's usually about something that you're observing, like in your life, like right now. It's often, like just walking to the show, and like your discomfort with that, and it'll bring up um, 
it seems like you're improving it. Like you're you're just following the threads of thought, and it'll eventually bring you to something poignant about death, um, because that is the point of the night. And, and um, that's the first time I start feeling my own like emotions start coming up. And but I what what I like about the humor of it is that um, a lot of times I feel like I don't want to talk to people about serious topics because there will be some effort on my part to like suppress the, the levity. Um, but there's something about how you do the opening monologue that gives permission for the levity and the darkness, and it really just permissions the whole night. It's like whatever you're bringing here, if you're going to put on a red clown nose and talk like you're an alien, like observing death for the first time, or if you're... Which happened. Which happened. <laughs> Or, or which was delightful too, mm-hmm. uh, and or if you're just going to get up there and tell a story about um, a loved one that that passed away, uh, sometimes in a in an unfortunate circumstance, or someone that's like missing that you don't know if they're dead or not, which which touched me. Um, like it doesn't. Like you're permissioning a wide range of emotions there, and it's not heavy. It's it's like easy to be in the space, um, which I like. Uh, I'm doing some some training to to volunteer uh, with a, with a crisis hotline, and um, things feel a little heavy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it'll make, it reminds me how. I'm, important it would it would be like not on the maybe sometimes even on the calls to not be entirely like super serious mm-hmm. about everything um and and then there's just like people's experience like i have my experience coming in i'm i'm very afraid of my father's death uh i'm very afraid of my own death which hopefully is much longer down the line but in a, in and that's on my mind when I'm when I'm going in there, but then I'm like people are sharing things with me that are very, very meaningful to them and to me. Um, it almost feels like so Hollywood like manufactures meaning because they they show you like the most meaningful like like beats of these fictional stories. It's like life with all the filler removed. Um, And maybe this is like that, except for it's real. Um, And uh, time passes very quickly. And I I start feeling in touch with uh, just a more spiritual or mystical kind of part of myself. then I leave always more in touch with that side of myself, which I like that side of myself. Uh, I always leave more in touch with that than when I went in. And it kind of feels good. I I don't know exactly how I'm doing good by going there, but I feel like I am doing good. Yeah. I mean, it feels like going to church. Or like the idealized version of church, where you're you're going, and uh, 
and like somehow by putting yourself in a in the right frame of mind a worshipful worshipful frame of mind or uh, like there's something worthwhile about what you're doing or like the Buddhists I've been to Buddhist temples where they think they're accruing merit or just like putting merit out into the world somehow like somehow by coming here to calm your mind or focus on what's important like that that is sort of um, spreading out like some sort of smoke into the into the world and somehow making things better you don't really know how mm-hmm. um, like it kind of feels like that mm-hmm. like putting my mind on something important um, and putting my frame of mind into a frame of mind that I like that it's making it's a, it's accruing some sort of merit it's, it's some kind of worship mm-hmm. yeah It's always <clears throat> really moving to, to me in a a way that I don't feel responsible for to hear hear someone describe their experience at a show like I listen to you. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful work of art. Yeah, and that you describe it that way too is that actually is something that I feel acknowledgement for that it is something that I can own but listening to you describe your personal experience is so powerful in a way that I'm just a witness to not in a way that I feel responsible for yeah it seems like you're you're watching me make sense of what I went through Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you're watching like my creation or remix or play with the pieces that you've put on the table mm-hmm. you've walked away from them and say like like make like make whatever you want out of it and you're you're hearing like what i'm making out of it i think that's why the nights are so dense like you describe a hollywood movie to be it's because what you just described everybody's having that and especially not Actually, everybody's having it. The listeners, the audience, people that don't perform, and the performers. But that what's getting offered is what is found when you maybe, when maybe things are cleared out enough to see, oh, I'm going to get on stage right now and add a poem I wanted to read, but I now know that that's not what I needed to read. And I just want to share about my sister who died. Um... And I don't know what I'm going to say, but I know that this is what I need to speak to. And I think that's what happens a lot when people sign up. And that more than anything, uh, more than ever before, what happens when people sign up is people get up and say, I've never done this before, or I didn't know I was going to sign up, but um, but here I am. Um, and so then, the like you say, the rawness um, of the experience, both, again, the rawness for an audience member to witness that over and over again through an evening, but the act of it as a creative act too. You say like it's an art. Um, it's an it's a creative act to get up. It's a creative act. It's a creative engagement with our heartbreak with those parts of us that that are closer to our heart than anything else. But we talk about less than everything. Um, and in that way, I think that's how the nights end up being so full and quick 
and dense and dense feels right to me because it, it is that and um and it does start when you hear that the thing's called you're going to die and it does also start when you walk through the doors um, which is why i love the lost church too um it's why i love viracocha which is where i used to do the show for several years and really where the show kind of came into being most clearly and my role in it too um, it's because when you walked into the space you already were halfway there you knew something was going on when you went through the door um, and the show hadn't started you know I think the Lost Church does that in its holding uh, Ned I want to be respectful of your time it's uh, 1057 yeah uh, so should we should we no, wrap I, up I can, we can keep going I by in a half hour I should for sure Okay. be kind of like getting out the door pretty quickly. So uh, let's just say we have like 20, 25 minutes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I remember, I think I think you said this at a show, like, or maybe someone else did, like there's something like, um, like making, making art out of tragedy is like the most, is, is one of the best things we can we can do out of it or or the ways that we can give it the most respect mm. um, i'm not sure that doesn't sound like something i'd say not that i don't agree with it i just um maybe someone else said it. yeah i mean i do feel like it's an acknowledgement though you know um creating a song or or writing a poem or telling a story you know it is a sacred i think act of acknowledging um and and also creating like legacy around, you know, these things and letting them move and um, like the emotions and our experience like move and and uh, make more space, I think, moving forward for like more life, more heartbreak, more joy. I, did you make, um, I think I remember that you made you were going to die in response to tragedy in your life? Well, yeah. You know, it's hard to make a real overt connection. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mom died in 2003, and I didn't do the open mic called You're Going to Die until 2009, probably. Um, and the story of me ending up where I was to even do that is, you know, it's a long... There's a lot that happened. Um, six years is a long time. I think what all came together were a lot of parts and this can actually help me speak to the comedy I think and levity and, and laughter at the shows why that's a part of it um, and so like in a nutshell really what happened is my mom died in 2003 but she'd had cancer for half my life up until that point and battled it and or whatever the word is you want to use um, a lot of treatments a lot of hair loss a lot of sickness a lot of remissions you know um, and so my relationship to mortality and death and dying and heartbreak and depression and sadness is as much a part of living with that and her divorce and her relationship with my dad and his broken brokenness. Um, the, sh it's, the show's informed by all that as much as it is by the fact that my mom died eventually. Um, and it is informed by the fact that my mom died and that I had to go into grief counseling and do group grief therapy and do one-on-one -on -one therapy for two or three years after her death and that that was happening while I was in Los Angeles kind of on the back end of a lot of work in you know 
theater companies and performance space and working at Universal Studios and then finding myself randomly because of trying to support a theater company working at a sales at a toy company and traveling the world for the first year or two after my mom died because of that company needing me to travel and do sales internationally. Um, and, and I'm throwing all this at, at you in so many diverse ways because this is like all the bed, you know, the, all the start or the work of the arrival to now. Um, and, and, I, and I mean to say that in a way now that's clear in a way it wasn't then. But I knew because my mom had died and because I traveled the world and because of all this work I was doing in therapy and because of all my performance work and my love for creative, creative being in the world um, that I didn't want to do the sales job anymore and I quit that and I came up to San Francisco to start a master's in English literature. I did that because I knew I didn't want to do sales. And... Um, and, and then being up here doing my master's at SF State, the open mic opportunity emerged. They asked me to like do one. The, the Graduate Literature Association asked me to kind of hold space for people outside of class and to connect us to community. And that was that first show in my apartment in 2009 was just an open mic where people could share whatever. And that's when that was the first like moment of the live show coming into being really. Didn't get called You're Going to Die for a couple years after that. And then it, that got named You're Going to Die, like I said earlier, because I was wanting people to just let go and share it, you know. And then my mother-in-law died uh, in 2012. And right around that time, I found Vera Kocha. And they welcomed me into that space to do the show. And right around that time, I got clear on all these parts. Is, is that, that a space in San Francisco? Yeah. Okay. It's still there, and I think things kind of still happen there, but the previous owner and designer of the space and that whole community that really th was thriving and you're going to die was fed by. It's shifted, as you can imagine, a lot of those communities have in the last five or ten years of San Francisco's transformation for many obvious and not-so-obvious reasons. And so... You know, that's all the long story of, okay, Viracocha is kind of closing, and oh, the lost church, and oh, here's who I am regularly, and here's who I am as a performer. Here's the arrival of me believing in comedy and knowing that it's wonderful to laugh and it's the best to make people laugh, and here's me emoting on stage knowing that that's as entertaining as it is moving and opening for other people, you know, and that's a long line of me doing theater and improv, um, you know, uh, uh, improv Olympics down in uh, LA and um, doing a little bit of work at the Groundlings down there. And, uh, and I mean a little, you know, but just like all of it, um, all through college, but all the way back and ties into me trying to make my mom happy and laugh, you know, uh, as depressed as she was for most of my life and admittedly so. Um, and so then that's that arrival, you know? It's, it's, it has all these many different pieces to it, um, sort of the, the genesis of, of this project. That's, it's, it sounds like it's drawing from just like all the things that, that you were up to up until that point, which I find like 
unique, interesting, creative projects often do. There's sort of like it's it, it's um it's it's something that uh, that I, I seems... described as an arrival. Yeah, you know, it arrival. is like all these different parts of my life, parts of my being, parts of my experience, kind of finally arriving together, or at least as many arrivals as there has been, this feels like the most connected mm. through all of them. Yeah, as a as a creative performer type, like I'm looking forward to that arrival at, at mm. some point. I haven't quite quite got there. Mm. But And I think there's the trust in for me, the one thing I can say that I have done well to get here is that I've just kept listening to the compulsions. And like your version of that right now would be to get this podcast out. You know, it's like it doesn't really matter maybe uh, how many listeners there are, like what the growth is, like if you're making money, but that you know it's an expression you have to keep doing. Um, And and, and even to the point that getting maybe it isn't, you know, knowing the time when it's like I don't want to do this anymore, like I don't or, or it just feels like it's not part of my life anymore. And then seeing the things that stick longer, you know, and that stay around. And, uh, and the show and the movement and now the nonprofit, it's still that con- work around that, like paying attention to the compulsions, knowing, wait, like this, obviously I cannot let go of this. I have to do it, you know? This show idea or this hospice project or this video series, um, my relationship to doing You're Going to Die is that kind of personal attention, you know? And now starting to make room for other people to be able to do that too within it as it's grown so much it needs it needs that for our more people um, and I mean like Chelsea Coleman and Scott Ferreter and Morgan Bolander and and uh, these people that have committed to the nonprofit and to the shows in a way that makes it their own and so then it's the work of like creating that kind of space just like the shows do for people to like okay what's at the heart of it you know what can you not deny when the clearings made you know so I, we we probably have like a, a few minutes. Uh, I have a. I feel like this is a good time to like selfishly ask you the question that I want to know, uh, which is uh, like I love your performance style, and and I want to pick at that a little bit because there's something I struggle with, which is um, performance and authenticity at the same time. Like they're they're sort of opposite. It's like by performing you're doing something on purpose, um, and then authenticity is like something that's welling up within you. And when I've tried to like have an emotional performance, it looks performative. Um, and there's a way that I like how you do it. Uh, what's like? What's your approach to performing? Um, I mean, it's really hard to point at it. You know, um, we've we've talked around it through the interview a couple times. Um, I could say, first of all, that there's a way that I am on stage that's like how I could be in a conversation with someone just in a day. Um, and that wouldn't be enough to describe what happens up there, you know. Um, there's a little bit of me doing kind of, I read this, I wrote this note down, I want to tell this story, a little bit of that. But I think it's a, there's a comfort I have on stage after all these years that, is certainly a nice uh, um, soil 
to grow out of, you know, every show, every performance. Um, like that underneath layer of comfort and confidence in that. Um, and then maybe the element of me just being the way that I can be with somebody, which is I like to talk about what I really want to talk about. And I want to hear about the thing you don't get to share with people the most, but like you very obviously want to share it with me. Um, and I want to be emotional about that and talk like with depth about it. And I want to make a joke. You know, I want to like cut through the drama. I want to cut through this idea that the story we're sharing is who we are. Um, and that's what I think you spoke to, even maybe even with your work on the crisis hotline. It's this idea that we've gotten so dramatic about our existence that like that could almost be the whole thing. But it's not. It's not. There's far more ridiculous, hilarious, absurd things going on that can help us cut like, through all of it and be like, oh, 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 God, whoa. You know, boy, I was really in deep. And I think that's part of what I do at the shows is people show up and they've been in the story, you know, for the day. And the way I can share and acknowledge that story because I have my own and then simultaneously cut through it with laughter and levity and, and joyful engagement, you know, with each other uh, is part of how the show opens, you know, and part of this kind of space, uh, the way I hold this kind of space that happens at the shows. And then I just have to tell you that I just get up there. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't very well like write it out. Like here's the instructions, you know? Yeah. Um, what I'm hearing from you is that like the way you are on stage is just like the way you prefer to be. Um, like you like being that way and then and then there's something about just getting comfortable enough to like let the way that you like to be actually show up yeah uh, that's like the recipe that I'm building in my mind about how to how to replicate not what you do but what my version of of what what I want to do that's yeah that's what I'm that's what I'd like to be um, great <laughs> um, I think that's a great starting point. I think it was, it's my starting point or my starting point now. I don't mean that like, oh, I used to be there. I mean, that's what I want. You know, I want to be like totally present and I want uh, you to leave your experience being like, wow, like we were just, we did that together. Like he was totally there with me. Like I want to know when I die that you feel that way. That's what I want. I don't really want anything else. I can layer so much over that. I can define it by so many other things. I can measure it by so much like we can in life and we can with success. And, and, and really that's the heart of it for me is that's what I want to want someone to say about me when I'm gone is how much I was, I showed up for them, you know? And also, what happens when I get up there cannot be described, and there aren't words to explain it. And like it probably is for you, there's a sacred thing going on for your spirit and, and your being in the world that doesn't deserve to be 
categorized and um, planned and um, described. That there's also something going on that's like sacred and baffling and awesome. And I mean like awe some, you know, not like awesome. I mean, you know, awe-inspiring, awe, awe, you know. Um, the shows do that. I think you say the word magic, like I feel that way at the shows, you know. I feel like something's going on that's spirited. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's spirit-filled. De definitely um, akin to what I imagine a powerful... Uh, like the religious experiences were like in the time when they were being formed, like they were they were probably powerful and and compelling things that nowadays like some of the old forums, like when I go to a church, it can feel like a little dead. But I imagine that there was this feeling when they were first being done, um, of of like being in the presence of something beyond ourselves. And that's the that's the uh, that's definitely the emotional tone that I get there. Like the uh, the church experience, you know, that that people describe that you've described. It's like common. People say it felt like going to church, or it felt like the best parts of church. You know, it's 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 common for people to feel that it's way. It's like it's what my, it's, church wants to be. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or like my favorite parts of church for me personally, if there is any connection somehow that I was able to incarnate. Uh, the experience I had, which I did for years of church, you know, and I'm glad I did. Um, I've moved on from like what it looks like to have a relationship with God and who God is and all that stuff. But what I'm present to for sure is that why I went is why I go to the You're Going to Die shows. You know, it's, it's being in community and it's being vulnerable. It's being seen, you know, and witnessed. Um, and, and even like in performative ways. I mean, church is very performative, you it know. It sure is. Um, and uh, uh, that that it, it 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 makes sense to me that people feel that way about the shows, and it's my own personal experience of them. And there's something else I wanted to to touch on, if I can get to it. Just give me one second. Um, oh, so there's this movie called Waking Life. Um, it's a Richard Linkletter film. And do you know of this movie? Yeah, I saw about. Uh, two-thirds of it um well i've watched it too many times to count and i watched it mainly you know right before my mom died um maybe a two or three years leading up to her death it showed up for me when i was you know in my early 20s and um there's a scene in that movie where there's a director maybe two directors, these two guys are talking to each other and they're talking about like what it means to drop in and be in the moment fully. And they're talking about it like we've already talked about it, which is if we are always there, you couldn't get through life because you'd constantly be crying or laughing. But what I love about that scene is that it captures what happens, I think, like you said, in church. It, it captures what happens at the shows, but it also captures what could happen just here. That if just you came to the show or you just showed up at my house to do a podcast, we're like in a sacred, we have the possibility of dropping into the sacredness of this. Um, and it's certainly hard and it's 
most certainly um, indefinable or uh, hard to grasp or navigate or locate, you know, but it runs through this, you know, moment for us. It does for me. And I felt it while we've been here. And my welling up with emotion is probably a measurement for that. Um, more than laughter, but also in the laughter, in the connectedness that we have, we have over like the funniness of it, you know. I feel it kind of come and go, mm-hmm. the uh, ebb and flow of it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and, and this is this is some some way that I've just very recently been trying to like guide my life. It's like, how do I want the feeling of the moment to be? And I really treasure and love like when it's when I feel like I'm in a sacred moment mm-hmm. um, in talking about this right now, like a lot of times just talking about something in that way, like suddenly um, things feel just more, just more, mm-hmm. um, especially someone's face. Mm-hmm. When I'm having a, a conversation like this with them, I'm like, oh, and now your face starts to have more significance to me. It's not just the thing making sounds over mm-hmm. there. It's, um, it's kind of like, opening up and popping out of the of the background uh but the background's also popping up with like more definition too i like just feel more just uh turned up yeah and uh there's a i like the, that. the scene's wild because they turn into clouds it's like a skyline so they're just talking and they're 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 like let's try it. he's like let's try it now let's do it right now let's create one of those moments like we want to as a director which ties in the whole hollywood experience you know and making movies and creating art um let's do that now let's do it now let's drop in with each other and so they just like stare at each other you know and then that the one guy's <laughs> it happens for a while as th- as they start to turn into clouds and the artists start to like transform the scene into like a skyline and like literally dissolve these two men who are sitting at a table together um, and then the one guy is kind of uncomfortable, you know, he starts to say, starts to speak to it, you know, which we want to do. We want to figure it out or we don't want to be that vulnerable, you know, or it's so intense, you know, um, which again points back to what, the, what it is to have it be sacred, that it would either be so overwhelming to get through life if it was always that way, or it would lose meaning if it was always that easy to get to. And that part of what's available is that we get to sometimes and then we maybe take something from it and go back into all right so i need to fill out a deposit slip for this cash uh at this building um and have an exchange about numbers and uh systems you know but that somehow we we find the the time ritual in a ritual um through our community through our togetherness and our connectedness but also like alone to, to like find those places. I hope that I'm doing that. You know, I hope that I'm doing that for myself in my life, not just in you're going to die, but I hope that I'm making more and more like room for that, but enough that it informs the other parts, you know, that it makes the other parts okay. Or that I have clarity in those places because of something I keep taking from these moments you know the shows um this work um it's about eleven nineteen. uh we could finish up with you know a few minutes of if you had a final thing to say considering that you know dozens of people will listen to this <laughs> um 
that's perfect. Uh, and then and then we should wrap up because I don't want you to have to rush. No, nope. Uh, I'm not sure I have anything else to say, but I love the idea that dozens and dozens of people will listen to this. And, and what it reminds me of is what we've been talking about all along. It's like, why does it matter? You know, why does it matter to do it? Um, can we be in the like notions of success and what it means to have growth and numbers and measurements? Or can we just be in like what it means for the, for whoever listens to this, if anybody does, or even smaller, like, how is it for us that we got to do this? You know, how is it? And then even closer, how is it for me? And then, and then is there something closer? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe there's something closer and maybe that thing that's closer explodes out into the infinity thing. You know, it's like, oh, wow, this is happening. Here's them. Here's the layers of the listeners. Here's the layers to us. Here's the layer to me. And then somehow access point to like, oh, you know, boy, I feel like everything's okay. That could be a a great place to stop. (laughs) Great. All right. Thanks, Ned. Yeah, man.